And let me say at the beginning of the message that I don't think the devil wants me to preach this sermon. And I didn't mention any of this in the first service, but I want to say it to you now. When you uh, are a preacher and have preached for a while, I think you can sense when the devil is fighting and pushing against you a little bit in regards to a sermon. And I felt that yesterday. And then this morning, I felt it even more because when I went into the garage to start my car, the battery was dead and it wouldn't start. And I thought, well, I've got several options here. Number one, I could go back to bed. Now, that seemed kind of appealing, to be honest with you. That seemed like a good option. I thought the second option is I could walk to church, and that didn't seem appealing at all. And then I thought, well, maybe the third thing I could do would be to call a friend and see if they'll bring me up here. And that's exactly what happened. And I got to the service just in time to preach. So I got out of the car, dropped off in the parking lot, walked out here, and started preaching. And as I was preaching that sermon, and as I've thought about it between the services, and as I reflect upon yesterday, and I even think about the fact that my car wouldn't start this morning, I really believe with all of my heart that the devil doesn't want me to preach this sermon. And when we get into it today, I think you're going to know why. But nonetheless, we're going to be thinking today about a period of time that will one day come upon this earth where there will be unprecedented peace where there will be unparalleled prosperity, and it is known as the millennium. Now, most of us have heard the word millennium. You may not know what it means, but you've heard that word. That English word comes from two Latin words, and when you put those words together, it literally means a thousand years. And so the Bible teaches that there's coming a thousand-year period on this earth when Jesus Christ will rule and when Jesus Christ will reign. I want to remind you today that when God made this earth, He made it perfect. In fact, after He had finished making everything, the last verse in Genesis chapter 1 says that God saw everything that He had made, and God saw that it was perfect. God made a sinless, perfect, peaceful world. But as you know, not long after the creation happened, sin entered the world, and when sin entered the world, everything got messed up. Because when sin came along, it brought with it division, first of all, separation from God and division with other people. It also brought with it disease. God never intended for our bodies to get sick. And ultimately, sin brought death. It was never part of God's plan for human beings to die. He intended for Adam and Eve and the rest of us to live forever in a perfect world. But sin messed all of that up. And you don't have to think very hard to think about all the bad things that have come in this world because of sin. Think about the thousands of wars that have taken place. Think about all the earthquakes that have taken place. Think about the famines that have taken place. None of that was God's plan for this world. And even in the day in which we're living, think about the fires that have wreaked havoc in so much of the western part of the United States in recent days and weeks. And if that's not enough, think about the virus that has affected the entire world. And so none of this was part of God's perfect plan. It's all a result of sin. And when we think about all the things that are happening in the world, all the things that have happened in the world, we naturally ask this question, what's going to happen next? And we ask this question, what could possibly come upon this earth now? Well, friend, let me say to you one, one thing that's going to come upon this earth one day, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back 
to this earth. And when he does, there'll be no more of these sicknesses and diseases. There'll be perfect peace, and we will live in a perfect world. Let me give you a verse to write down. In Job chapter 19 and verse 25, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and his feet shall stand at last on the earth. And I think those two words, at last, may be the key. When the feet of Jesus stand on this earth again, the earth itself will say, at last. At last, things are back how they are supposed to be because Jesus Christ has come back to this earth. And so, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation, I want us to think about this thousand-year period known as the millennium. And I want us to ask ourselves this question, what is it that will make this millennium, this, these thousand years, so absolutely wonderful? And the first thing that I would say is that during this time, Jesus Christ will be crowned. He will be crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, he's already that, but he'll be crowned that. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 11, and in verse number 15, this is an interesting verse. Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so all the nations of the world during the millennium will be under the reign of Jesus. The United States, Canada, Mexico, Iran, Iraq, all the nations, Israel certainly, China, Russia, all the nations in the world will now belong to Jesus, and he will rule with a rod of iron. Now, go to chapter 19. We looked at this verse last week, but in verse number 12, this descriptive verse of Jesus and what he will look like during the millennium. John has this vision, and he says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And so Jesus Christ during the millennium will be crowned. Let me give you two verses to jot down in your notes that we hear most often at Christmas, but it will apply to the millennium. The Bible says, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so the first thing that will make the millennium such a special time is that Jesus Christ will be in control. He will be crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. And it reminds me that True peace, we, everybody wants peace in the land, peace in the world. But true peace doesn't come because they signed a peace agreement or a peace treaty in the Middle East. True peace doesn't come from some decision that was made in Austin or Washington, D.C. True peace comes and will come when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is on this earth ruling and reigning. And that's exactly what will happen during the millennium. So the first thing that will make it so great, Jesus will be crowned. The second thing that will make the millennium so special, and I think perhaps one of the reasons the devil doesn't even want us to look at this scripture this morning, is that during these years, Satan will be 
bound. Satan will be bound. Now, we know that the devil's not bound today. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 8, it says that our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so today, the devil is trying to destroy and he is trying to devour us. But there's coming a day when Satan himself will be bound. Revelation chapter 20, and look in verse number 1. John said, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. We don't know who this angel is. Maybe Michael, maybe Gabriel. Or maybe some angel that uh, we don't even know the name of. But he said, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so think about what the Bible is saying. At the beginning of this thousand-year period, after Jesus is back on the earth, he is crowned King of kings, Lord of lords. All the nations of the world are under his control. Satan will be chained, and Satan will be thrown into a bottomless pit And he'll be there for a thousand years. Now, this bottomless pit is something that we studied earlier, many, many months ago, as we've worked our way through the book of Revelation. But turn back this morning to chapter number 9, and I'm not going to get into the whole study at all, but I want to just draw your attention to four verses here that will help us to understand what this bottomless pit is. It is sometimes called the shaft. It is sometimes called the abyss. It is the place even today where many demons have been incarcerated waiting their final sentence to hell. And so there are demons in the the shaft and in the abyss right now. Revelation 9, 1. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now who is this star? Well, it's a fallen angel. It may be a reference to Satan himself maybe some other angel, but it's a demonic person because now he has the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And so this this one who's over the pit is fallen from heaven. So that's what tells us he's wicked. And now he has control of this pit. And it talks about like the smoke of a great furnace. So there's smoke coming out of this pit. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth has power. And so here come locusts out of the pit, smoke out of the pit. It's a nasty, awful, horrible thing. And in verse number 11, we read, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. So whether this is Satan himself or a high-ranking demon, this is the one over the pit uh, even today, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means destruction or destroyer. And yet the scripture says that there's coming a day when Satan himself will be cast into this abyss for a thousand years. Now, as I was preparing this message and I was really starting to think about what the Bible is saying, there's coming a time when the devil will be in this abyss for a thousand years. And I thought about a principle that Jesus taught us in the Gospels. 
In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what did Satan do that got him kicked out of heaven? Before he was Satan, he was an angel. His, he was beautiful. His name was Lucifer. What, what got him kicked out of heaven? I'll tell you what got him kicked out. He exalted himself. He wanted to be worshipped as God. Here was Lucifer in heaven watching all the angels bow down and worship God. And Satan, or Lucifer, thought, I want that worship for myself. Let me give you some verses to write down. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, here's what Lucifer said in heaven that got him kicked out of heaven. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's always been what Lucifer wanted, what the Antichrist will want, and now, and certainly what Satan wants. He wants to be worshipped as God. Yet, the Bible says, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so God said to Lucifer at the time, because you have exalted yourself, because you have tried to lift yourself up and demand to be worshipped, you are now going to be humbled. He was cast out of heaven, cast to the earth. That's a pretty long way from heaven to earth. God humbled him. But during the, this part of the millennium, he will be gone, taken down even lower into the shaft, into the abyss, into the bottomless pit. Contrast in your mind Jesus to Satan. Jesus, the Bible says, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And what did God do in response to that? God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. What did the devil do? God, he exalted himself and what did God do? God in turn has humbled him and he will humble him further during the millennium. He will be in a bottomless pit. Now you still listen and say, Amen. I think one of the things that this gives us, it gives us an insight not only into Satan's future, but it gives us an insight into Satan's psyche right here and right now. How would you feel if you knew that in your future was a thousand years? We, you know, we talk about a millennium, a thousand years, like, well, you know, it's no big deal. It's quite a big deal. Uh, the, the millennium will last four times longer than America's been a nation. A thousand years is a long time. How would you feel if you knew that in your future there was a thousand years in the bottomless pit, smoke, locusts, all the punishment there, and then after you are released for a short time, then you're sentenced to the lake of fire forever? How would you feel? Well, I'll tell you how you would feel. You would feel afraid. You would feel intimidated. You would be overwhelmed by that. You, you, you would, that, that would be a paralyzing fear for anybody if they thought you know, that was in their future. In Satan's case, he knows that's in his future. So what does he do to believers today? He tries to inflict on us 
the same fear that he has. Anytime you have a feeling of fear or dread or heaviness or oppression that comes over you, that is coming from the devil and he's putting that on you because that's what he's living with. Because he knows that in his future, down he goes and then into the lake of fire. And so, what does a, what's the most dangerous animal? A wounded animal, an animal that is backed in a corner is the most dangerous animal. He'll come out and bite. Well, what is Satan? He is like an animal backed in a corner, and he knows that his future is a bottomless pit and a lake of fire, and it scares him. And so as a result of that, what does he do? He tries to inflict on us the same fear and intimidation that he lives with every day. And so the next time the devil comes to you and puts a fearful thought in your mind, an oppressive thought in your brain, or something that would weigh you down and, 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 and wear you down and beat you down, you remind Satan that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, and that his future is in a bottomless pit in a lake of fire, and your future is in heaven with God forever. And so what we have to do in a spiritual battle is fight with spiritual weapons. And our weapons are what? Prayer, certainly, but the Word of God and to remind the devil not only of our future, but of his and what is coming for him. So what's going to make the millennium so wonderful? Jesus will be crowned. Satan will be bound. And then think about the third thing. Peace, joy, and new life will abound. I thought, man, the millennium is going to be so good, even my points rhyme. Jesus is crowned, the devil is bound, and peace and joy and new life will abound. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 and look in verse number 4. John's having this vision now of the millennium. And, he, and remember, the millennium will start when Jesus Christ comes back at the battle of Armageddon. He will have left heaven on that white horse. We will be following him on our white horses a sword will come out of his mouth, which is the word of God. He'll destroy those in the valley of Megiddo who have followed the Antichrist. And then Jesus will go from Megiddo in northern Israel down south to Jerusalem, 60 miles. And I imagine I take those horses in Revelation chapter 19 to be literal. Maybe they're figurative. I take them to be literal. And that Jesus will then ride and we will follow him on a 60-mile victory ride to Jerusalem. The Bible says that when Jesus gets to the city of Jerusalem, before he goes into the city, his feet, Zechariah 14, 4, will stand on the Mount of Olives. And when his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, that mountain is going to split in two. And some amazing things will happen when that happens. Jesus will then enter the city of Jerusalem. And for a thousand years from Jerusalem, Jesus will rule the world. There will finally be peace in the Middle East, and there'll be peace everywhere else because Jesus will be ruling and Jesus will be reigning. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, John said, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. When he talks about the rest of the dead, he's talking about the unsaved dead. We know that when people who are unsaved die today, they go to a place called Hades. Ultimately, they'll go to hell, but their bodies will remain buried until after the millennium. And then at the end of verse 5, 
he picks up talking about not that, but about the first resurrection. And he said, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. For they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so during this millennium, who will be on the earth with Jesus? Who will be ruling and reigning with him? Well, first, those who got saved during the tribulation... And survive. They were not killed by the Antichrist. They'll be there. Then those who got saved during the tribulation and they were executed, beheaded, lost their lives. They'll be resurrected. They'll be there. Then those of us who have been saved, who at the rapture of the church will have been resurrected, uh, will be there. And then the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Daniel, those in the Old Testament, they're, they're in heaven with God today, their spirits and souls, but their bodies will be resurrected at the second coming of Jesus Christ. They will be there. And so in the millennium, it's going to be all the people of God from all the ages, and it's going to be an absolutely amazing thing. Now, as we think about the millennium, and not only the political and geographical, but about the cha- other changes that will take place on the earth. Go to the book of Isaiah, if you would. And in chapter number two, I want to show you a, uh, I want to show you a, a, a verse, if I can, about some of the changes that will take place. In fact, we've got several verses to look at in Isaiah, but it's very interesting. In Isaiah chapter two and in verse four, we, we read that the earthly kingdoms will be changed. It's going to be different during the millennium. He shall judge between the nations, this is talking about Jesus, and rebuke many people. Now watch this. They shall beat their swords into plows or into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So during the millennium, no war, no fighting, no conflict. What does it say? It says they shall beat their swords into plows. So instead of swords, there'll be plows. People will work, but people won't war. There will not be any war. If you go to the United Nations today in New York, in the garden section of the UN, you will find a sculpture made by a Russian person but a sculpture of a man with a hammer in his hand. And with that hammer, he is beating a sword and he is turning that sword into a plow that was donated to the UN with the spirit of the purpose of the United Nations is to bring wars to an end. The purpose of the United Nation is to put an end to the sword. And yet, even though probably many people who go to the United Nations and see that regularly have no idea that that sculpture was taken from Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, which says that during the millennium, they shall beat their shields into plows. And yet, as hard as they try and as sincere as they must be, we would all have to acknowledge and they would have to acknowledge that the United Nations has not been able to bring war to an end. The United Nations has not brought peace to the earth. That's why I said earlier, the only one who can bring peace, true peace, will be the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And there's a depiction of a sword being beaten into a plow. But when Jesus comes, it will literally happen and there will be no war. Now go to chapter number 11, something else very interesting. Because during the millennium, not only will the earthly kingdoms be changed, but the animal kingdom will be changed. 
Chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. You don't ever see a cow and a bear together today or a, a lamb and a lion or a wolf and a lamb. You don't see that. Their young ones shall lie down together. Now watch this. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. You never see that today. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. During the millennium, children will play with snakes. Now, we're not in the millennium yet, so don't try that today uh, when you go home if you see a snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so the animal kingdom, will be, there'll be peace. Go to chapter 35. Because not only that, but the horticultural kingdoms of the world will be different. In Isaiah 35 and in verse number 1, it says, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. You go to Israel today, especially in the southern part of Israel, much of that is dry, arid, desert. And yet during the millennium, it's coming to life. And it's going to blossom like a rose. And what now is arid and dry and sand and desert will turn in to the most beautiful garden that you could imagine. Now, go to Ezekiel chapter 47, because this may be my favorite description of the millennium. And interestingly enough, there are more prophecies in the Bible about the millennium than any other future event. That's how big of a deal this period of time is. And we don't think much about it. We just think about life on earth and then heaven or hell. Well, that's, that's a big part of it too. But there's still this thousand-year period where, listen, Jesus will rule on the earth. If you went to Jerusalem today, and if you carved your name in a tree in Jerusalem today, during the millennium, you could go back, find that same tree and you would see your name carved in that tree. Because during the millennium, the, Jesus is not going to, like, it, eventually, when the new heavens and the new earth come, like, the earth we live in is going to get a facelift. But during the millennium, it will be the same earth. It's just that Jesus will bring it to life. But it will not be a totally new earth yet. So that tree that you wrote your name in would still be there during the millennium. And yet, in Ezekiel chapter 47, notice what's going to happen. It says, now Ezekiel's having a vision now. He brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. During the tribulation, a temple will be rebuilt. Then there will be the millennial temple during this time. And so it says, for the front of the temple faced east, faced the Mount of Olives. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. Verse 8. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region. So you've got water now coming out of the temple from underneath the temple in Jerusalem. Where does it flow? Flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. That is the Dead Sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. During the millennium, the Dead Sea will come to life. There's no aquatic life in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is six times saltier than a normal ocean. And so the mineral content is so high that a fish or a dolphin or none of those 
uh, could live in the, in the Dead Sea. It's so thick, you can go to the Dead Sea today and float. You, a human being cannot sink on the Dead Sea. It is that thick. The mineral content, the salt, is so thick. And yet, during the millennium, what's going to happen? The waters are going to be healed. The waters flowing from underneath that temple are going to be healed, and there will be life. Verse 9, it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the river goes, will live. There shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to any glame. That's talking about a strip of land right on the Dead Sea. They will be places for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as the fish of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, exceedingly many. And so during the millennium, dolphins, fish, the same fish that would exist in the Mediterranean Sea will be in the Dead Sea. Jesus will not only cause roses to bloom in the desert, He will bring life to the Dead Sea, and that leads me to the most important thing that I think I could say about the millennium. I wrote this in my notes. I think it's a good way to wrap this up this morning, and I want you to consider this statement. Wherever Jesus is, there is life. Wherever Jesus is, you go to the garden tomb today in Jerusalem. When you first walk through the entrance, you will notice the greenery, the trees, the life, the plants. Wherever Jesus is, there's life. When Jesus comes back to the earth, what's going to happen? There's going to be light. There's going to be roses growing in the desert. The Dead Sea will be healed. It, the sea itself will be brought to life. Not only does Jesus bring dead bodies to life, he, he brings dead bodies of water to life, and it will be filled with aquatic life. Wherever Jesus is, there's life. Now, we hear this we think about this and we say, man, I can't wait until the millennium because in the millennium, it's going to be so wonderful. And yet we know that the millennium's not going to start today. The millennium is at least, if, G if the rapture took place today, we'd be in heaven. But the quickest the millennium could start would be seven years from right now. If the rapture happened right now, the millennium would begin in seven years. And so we know that we're not going to be in Jerusalem with Jesus experiencing this for at least seven years from now. So I think, man, that's interesting. Glad to know about that. I put that in the back of my mind. One day it's going to be great to experience, what was the final point? Peace, joy, and new life will abound. Man, I can't wait for that day, John. That's going to be a great day. And it is. But think about this, friend. You don't have to wait until that day to experience the peace and the joy and the new life that you're looking for because all of that is found in Jesus Christ. That's not just experienced during the, during the millennium. The earth will have those things. But people can have those things right here and right now by receiving Jesus Christ. You know, it seems like in life, so many people, and I guess it's human nature, but so many people just want something new. You know, and they're always looking for a new something, for a new experience, for, for just something, a new job, a new neighborhood, a new car. And there's nothing wrong with these things. But friend, think about this. The newness that people are looking for is not found in a new car because the new car will get old. It's not found in a new house because a new house won't stay new forever. It's not found in a new job because that new job won't be new forever. The newness 
the freshness, the excitement, the vitality, the enthusiasm that people are looking for now are found in none of those things. Those, the newness is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does it say in Lamentations 3? His mercies are new every morning. God has so designed the spiritual life so that every morning when we wake up, we can begin to experience the newness that He has for us in Jesus Christ. The freshness, the anointing, the enthusiasm, and the excitement, and it's all found in Jesus Christ. And so, you say, John, how can I have greater peace, greater joy, more newness, freshness, enthusiasm in my life every day? How can I have that? We're not in the millennium yet. No, we're not, but I'll tell you, I can have that. You crown Jesus Christ as Lord of every area of your life, and then you bind the enemy, and by that I mean you put Satan as far away from you as you possibly can. When Jesus is crowned and the devil is bound, that's when all these things, the peace and the joy and the new life, will begin to abound in our hearts and in our lives. Amen? Father, I thank you that a better day is coming to this earth. It won't always be the next war or the next disease. One day you yourself are going to put your feet upon this earth. And it's going to be a glorious day. But God, on this day, we need you to put your spirits, your spirit in our spirits in a fresh new way. With your head bowed and eyes closed. If you have never received Jesus Christ, I'm telling you today on the authority of His Word, peace is found in Him. Joy is found in Him. Newness, freshness, excitement, enthusiasm, it's all in Jesus. It's not in the experiences of life, it's in an experience in a relationship with Jesus. And if you've lost that, would you ask God to renew those things in your life? Maybe there's an area in your life where you need to crown Jesus in a fresh new way as Lord over your finances, over your health, over your relationships, over your family, over your business, over your future. Crown Him as Lord. Maybe you've allowed Satan to get a foothold in your life in some area. Today, you need to bind the enemy in Jesus' name and repent of that and turn from that and go a different way. Some here today need to be saved. It may be that God brought you to this service so that you could pray. And, and there were three, I believe, who made decisions in the first hour, but some could pray right now and receive Jesus Christ into your life. You could crown him as Lord. Pray this now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person you want me to be. And for those of you who prayed that prayer this morning, at the end of the service, we're going to ask you on your way out, when you get into the commons, which is just a large hallway behind us now, if you'll turn to your right, and just walk until you come to a dead end on that hall. And to the right will be our church parlor. And ministers will be there. And they'll be wearing masks. And everybody is social distancing. So you'll be safe. And 
like I say, three went in there in the first service, after the first service. You can go there today and just say, hey, I just prayed that prayer with John. I just asked Jesus to come into my heart. Others here today, you're already, you've already been saved, but maybe you've never been baptized. Today, I would encourage you just to go to that room and just to share with one of our ministers, hey, I, I need to schedule my baptism. I know we're not even having baptisms yet with the pandemic, but I want to get scheduled for whenever we can. And then there are others here today, you've already done those things, but you feel God leading you to put your life in our church. Just go to that room and just say, hey, I want to join the church today. And for those, and we know there are many who are watching online today in, in your home, and yet you feel that you have a decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe you just prayed that prayer. Maybe you would like to become a part of the First Baptist family. Many have done that in recent weeks. We ask you to go to your phone or to your computer and just type in fbp.org. That's fbp.org slash connect. And uh, give us your name and tell us, give us your phone number. And a minister will call you uh, soon and pray with you and talk to you and follow up on your decision to help you in any way that we can. And so, Father, I thank you today that a better day is coming to this world. And it won't be brought about, God, by the United Nations. It'll be brought about by Jesus Christ. And yet, God, I pray that even on this day, today, right now, we would crown him as Lord in every area of our lives and that we would live with peace and and with joy and, and with a freshness about us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen and Amen.